Well, hello everybody and welcome to the Word on the Hill. This is Scott Powell coming at you live with Father Peter Mosset. <laughs> you are coming at it live. Sorry, I didn't know what to do. Hey, it's okay. My name is Father Peter Mosset. We worked on that intro three times. Yeah, no, I'm and that's the best we could do. We're the lanky guys. Hello. Are you doing it again? Welcome to the Word on the Hill. <laughs> We're the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Muzzin. You sure are. And Scott is coming to you live today. I am. I am live and in person. <laughs> Not you. Father Peter's just a cardboard cutout and recording. Dude, well, I have to say, um, the uh, uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know guys hit their 200th podcast. Woo! Dude, we're like, what, 100 and something. C-T-S. No, C-S-T-K. Y-K. C-S-T-Y-K. Y-S-K. Yeah. I know they have an acronym, and it's hard to remember. But, dude, remember when they were at their podcasts were like 10 minutes long? <laughs> dude, <laughs> Periodically, they dude, still are. I, I looked down the line, and it was like 45, 42. I feel like we've given everyone license to ramble on for 45 minutes. Ramble on. But we're about the length of an average commute. Hey, that's what we're talking if about. If you listen to us going to work and coming back, then we're a good-sized commute. We're the length of an average dryer dryer cycle. Are we? Yeah. Oh, good. Did Kate Schmidt tell you that? No, I just made it up okay. as we were talking because I was thinking about doing laundry because I while laundry. we record. No, because <laughs> we're busy. Oh, yeah, actually, we got that, stuff to do. That would be kind of good. No, it wouldn't. Well, today You're terrible. <laughs> we're going to be distracted enough sitting in your chair. The nineteenth Sunday in ordinary time. Yes. Um, Saturday, August 9th, twenty fifteen. Yeah, and we're still in um, John's bread of life discourse. So our little our little for, foray into John's gospel. He who comes to me shall, <laughs> shall not hunger. No believes and me shall not. <clears throat> okay. So, so but but we're not dude, you just jumped all the way to the gospel. That was I like, just I just mentioned and thematically, thematically we're in the bread of life discourse. Okay, That's it. all. I'm not <laughs> jumping ahead. Lay off. Uh, hey man. John's your forte. The, dude, I have to say what? That I'm happy we're podcasting today. I'm happy we're podcasting today. It's a Wednesday. That's what we do. Do you know what you know what I've been doing recently? Um, podcasting audience. I've been feeding Scott Red Bulls right before You have. Right before the You've been doing <laughs> the, the, the that regularly, podcast. haven't you? I, I haven't have, even noticed. Yeah, dude, we've had desensitized. S- I was actually looking around my room of which I have not um tended to it in a while, and I'm like, there's a lot of Red Bull carcasses around here. Carcasses. You, you rat, dude. It's kind of like my friend who used to call uh call uh the uh pizza crust. He called them pizza bones. Pizza bones. Pizza bones. You gotta eat the bones. So 19th Sunday ordinary time. Our first reading. Today. No, wait a second. Do we have any shout outs? Shout I wanted to point out Jonathan Cop. Jonathan Cop didn't quite shout apologize, but his his wife. Well, how do I say it? Well, I'll I'll just read the, the email. It says, Dear guys, my wife said to me today, I saw you posting something critical, or I saw your posting on the Facebook page. Why did you post something that was critical to us? Oh. And I want to affirm Jonathan Cop because what he did was actually call you out, and you deserved some cr- calling out. I did. I put Crowded House. It was not Crowded House. It's Madness. madness. Which is and he such put up an the music video. Mistake. He put the video up, which is... Fantastic. Which is fantastic. And it's so a fantastic thank you, Jonathan Cobb. And Cop. to Jonathan Cobb's wife, no no 
No harm done. No harm done. <laughs> Father we, Peter needs to be put in his place sometimes. No. So. Well, you, you do. You were pretty high on your horse about. Dude, I was, especially in like pop culture '80s references. Like, dude, it's like bring it on, man. I have no problem experiencing and madness of all bands that I first took. I, he, I apologize. I actually want to make amends to he also madness put a smiley itself. face emoticon, which always softens every correction. <laughs> it does. So. Okay. All right. Anyway, we're back into first. We're back. Kings. First uh, Kings. Yeah, yeah. So nineteenth Sunday. We're in first. Are you? Did you say the reading in? I and it's entire. I've been trying to get there. I we didn't do shout outs yet. I wanted to give a shout out, John. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Okay. All right. You filled me with Red Bull, and now I'm antsy. I've got <laughs> angst. You filled me with angst. Dude, I want you just to pay attention to the second reading today. Okay. It has it has some things to tell you. Oh shoot, it does. <laughs> well, I didn't. I haven't. Okay. What's the first reading for the day? <laughs> Just say it. It's first. You say it. Okay. We're coming from First Kings, chapter nineteen, verses four through eight. Okay. See how easy that was. That was very easy. Then our psalm is from Psalm thirty-four. Uh, the response is thirty-four nine a, mm. and then our uh, verses are uh, thirty-one. It's, no, it, no, it's it Not starts at close. it starts at two. Yep. And then it goes to three. Yeah. Then it goes to four, <laughs> then it goes to five, yeah. and then it follows that with six, and then it goes to seven, and then eight. It's pretty, and, then and a nine. little piece of nine, and a little nine in there, a little bit of nine. <laughs> Our second reading, which Father Peter is using to call me out, is from Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty, all the way over. To, wait, what? Oh yeah, all the way over to chapter five, verse two. <laughs> yeah, I know you're like, oh my gosh, that spans I, for a just tremendous well amount. for a second. I forgot that five followed four. <laughs> <laughs> this is kids. Despite the fact that I watched a whole episode of Peg Plus Cat on PBS Kids today, which is all about math. So I should, this should be fresh in my mind. Yeah. Anybody out there watch Peg Plus Cat? Because I like it. Judge me as you will, Father Peter. It's a kid's show about math. Dude, I- It's so, all, all the art is done on graph paper. Uh, dude, that's the best. My cool. My parents uh, got me a present for my birthday. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. You're a- uh, Golden Means Calipers. Right. Yeah, Golden Mean Calipers. I, they gave me fee- we always have that random two or three people who know what you're talking about out there, and they'll probably send you a picture of their golden means calipers. <laughs> <laughs> and then our gospel is uh, from John six forty one to fifty one. All right, conclude. I believe that concludes the go- the uh, bread of life discourse. Is that anywhere close to the truth? Um, almost, almost, no, not quite, not quite. It, no, we through fifty nine. We have to have the people who leave. Yeah, we go through fifty nine. Okay, any, but they start to, they get pretty close here. So let's back all the way up to First Kings. Back I love it up, back it up. We it wasn't last week we talked about Elijah. It was two weeks ago, right? We, we talked, were talking about Elijah about Lisa, and Alicia. Yeah, and we talked a little Jha bit. And so we've backed up even further into um, kind of toward the beginning of the story of Elijah, and so it gave me reason today to study um, the story of Elijah, which I, I really love the story of Elijah. He's a stud. So just to give you a little context again, so if you remember our story of salvation history, you got Israel, right? Twelve tribes. God yep. has formed into a people as his own. Yeah. There is a series of terrible, awful kings who do very corrupt things. There's a civil war. Ten, ten of the tribes rebel against the southern kingdom and the capital Freedom. and the temple and all these things. They form their own kingdom up in the north. They, You're not welcome. <laughs> They form their own religious systems. They ordain their own priests. They put in their own kings, their own temples. They start worshiping foreign gods. Real bad deal, right? And Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> that was good. Well, well done. Um, but the first chunk of First Kings 
is basically this long, drawn-out story of all this litany of awful, awful kings that show up in the Northern Kingdom. There's plenty of bad ones in the South, too, but the ones in the North are kind of highlighted here. And in the midst of all of these terrible kings in chapter 17, which is right before what we get, we're introduced to... Why are you looking at me like that? You're smirking at me. I, it was, it's You're just, totally smirking. It's the Red Bull. I it's actually was Bull. just going to... And How many have you had today? None. I've just Father had Peter, this. I just had this did one, you lie on the podcast? No, I had. I, this is my first one, and I had a cup of coffee right before this. Okay, I've had four cups of coffee and a Red Bull. Whoa! <laughs> um, what now? Yeah. So in chapter seventeen, we're introduced <laughs> to Elijah. So, and he literally, n- literarily, in, in the narrative, he's literally dropped into the midst of these terrible, terrible kings, and then we're introduced to this guy, which, which is, um, it's a neat way to do it. So he's introduced in chapter seventeen. I just want to get back to my notes of where I was. Yeah. Yeah, and and so the figure of Elijah shows up. Abimelech, right? Is he the king of the time? Really, Elijah spends most of his time with Ahab. Ahab, yeah. Uh, And it's Ahab who has the wife Jezebel Jezebel and that that whole deal. This this is Jezebel and Ahab. And that's really the first thing Elijah does. When we're introduced to Elijah, really the first thing he does when we meet him in chapter 17, one, is speak this word of judgment against King Ahab. And I just want to just really briefly recount the story because it's a really cool story and it kind of leads us to where we are today in our reading. Um, But the first thing he does, what what he does is predicts three years without rain. And I remember, I remember doing a seminar on First Kings and Elijah at uh, this parish in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I remember talking about what a big deal it was that Elijah prophesied three years without rain. And everyone was sitting in the audience in Albuquerque, New Mexico, like, what, what? We haven't seen rain in 10 years. And I was wow. like, oh, right. But for them, Ooh. it was a big deal. <laughs> but Albuquerque is a dry place. But anyway, but, but, but for this cult, <laughs> I just remember reading my notes thinking, I actually put a little note that said Albuquerque with a smiley face <laughs> just to remember that day. But but um, the reason that's important for, for this culture, so one of the things I want to point out is I think what's going on here, and this takes us back to last week, one of the themes that actually runs through all of these readings is the theme of the Exodus. I, which thought, does, it was, I thought it was barley loaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the theme of the yeah. Exodus totally runs through all of Did these. Did you say the theme of the Exodus? The theme of the Exodus. Of the Exodus. <laughs> and, and here's why. So the, the, what, what he does is predict these three years without rain, which was a really big deal because one of the main gods that they believed in was this god named Baal. Right, B A apostrophe A L, which you see Baal sort of a shorthand for a lot of the different gods throughout the Old Testament. And, and they're starting to name their towns from Baal, yeah. like like we saw that with Amos, is that they were like from yeah. Baal Shersheba and yeah. whatever. And but do you remember what? So what? What Baal's big thing was? What was he in control of? Did you know? Oh man, you can kind of put the pieces together based on what we've said so far. Sacrifice. Well, but what did he control? Remember, all the gods sort of had their jurisdictions over stuff. Oh yeah. So what did Elijah just prophesy was going to stop? Rain. Rain. So what do you think Baal's in charge of? Rain. Yeah. So their main god is in charge. And if you kind of picture where they are, this image um, it kind of comes geographically because, um, well, we have artwork of Baal as this great god riding on top of the storms. But if you think of that part of the world, do you remember? Did you ever visit Mount Carmel? When you were up in the Holy Land? I did not visit Carmel, no. Which is not too far. It's not too far from the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. But basically, if you, it's, it's on the, you know, the coast of the Mediterranean there. And what would happen, basically, you'd have all of these storms which come, um, which were they, they would come west off of the Mediterranean. And they basically come off the Mediterranean. They slam into the western side of Mount Carmel, which is right on the coast. And so Mount Carmel is actually one of the most fertile places in the world. It's ton, There's tons of... 
of um, yeah, life and foliage and all sorts of stuff because the rains come and the storms slam into the side of Carmel and then they kind of stop there. So just east of Carmel, you have the barren deserts. But it all oh. hits Carmel. So if you're looking at it, when you look at Mount Carmel, it's this striking image if you're in the desert and this lush, beautiful, you know, mountain, almost rainforesty mountain in the middle of this dry land. So that was sort of seen as the home of Baal or, you know, his central place because it was just this, oh. this profound image. So the rain would all drop there. So that means that Mount Carmel became this, you know, the seat of Baal, of, of Baal right? And so what he's doing in predicting these three years without rain He's basically doing what he did, what Moses did in the 10 plagues back in Egypt, right? Basically showing that the gods that you think have all the power in the world actually have no power. They are no gods, right? Mm-hmm. So your god, Baal, is nothing. And I'm going to dry up everything that you think that he's in charge of and show you that it's actually God who's in charge of these things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we kind of go on. So he does this, and everyone's kind of blown away. And, of course, Ahab and Jezebel get really mad. And so he does this great thing, and God then leads him off into this kind of desolate place where he's going to go. Basically, chapters 17, 18, and 19 are all stories of Elijah doing these mighty, powerful works to show that the gods of the northern kingdom are not really gods at all, and him being countered with utter, total spiritual desolation. And it's this very weird juxtaposition. He's doing these great things, and God is giving him no consolation. Or he's not seeing the consolation. And it's really in these three chapters where we get um, this kind of key to the spiritual life, this idea of the, the purgative. Um, Illuminative and unitive. And the unitive way. This is where it comes from, from these three chapters. So he goes off into the desert, and he does these things. And right where we pick it up, God pulls him back from the desert. And in chapter 18, he confronts the king again. And there's that great scene where he's like, all right, we're going to see whose God is most powerful. And we're going to set up two altars. Remember the story? It's in chapter 18. Let's set up two altars. And you let's call see, it down. You, you call have your God call down fire from heaven. I'll and, have my God call down fire from heaven. We'll see who wins. And then he shows off, pours water he over pours, it three dumps times. water over it. And remember then he even mocks him. And he's like, oh, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Or maybe he's There's gone out sleep. to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee or something. <laughs> exactly. He's totally trash talking. <laughs> he's totally trash talking. But then at the end of it, he kills them. Oh. Well, yeah, there's that. Well, first of all, God does rain down fire from heaven. Well, yeah, yeah. He wins, and yeah. then he kills them all, which is kind of intense. I'm just saying. And like, and you, you see its effects in his life. You see its effects in his life. And, and basically what he does is he kind of goes and he flips out. And he goes back into—actually, he goes to Mount Sinai. Um, Horeb is what it's called at the time. He goes, yeah. and he basically is in, is in total desolation. He's like, what the, what the heck? I, I went out. I proved their gods are wrong. I showed that you're the only one, and nobody cares. I killed them. I showed how powerful this is. Well, and Number then, one, he's probably mourning that. Well, yeah, and, the, he, and he's freaking out. But then and right, he freaks out. But what leads us into this moment right now yeah. is that Jezebel finds out about everybody being killed. Right. And she's like, Oh, you like that? I'm going to kill you and your whole household. Right. Like, this is it. Right. And that's actually where we start the story we have today. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for Elijah. Because yeah. he's like, well, wait a second. I've just shamed everybody. And now I'm I'm the one who has to run off into the desert and hide? I showed that the God who's behind me is more powerful than everybody. I even took him to the sword. Like, I should be the most powerful man in the world right now. And yet I'm running and hiding in these little desert canyons? What the... What the stink is that all about, right? Yeah. And so Elijah, in the period that we get today, basically goes on a tirade against God. And he starts screaming. He's like, I'm the only one faithful. You've treated me terribly, God. I'm the only one left. It you know, is you've just, enough. It is enough, oh Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. 
Who are his fathers? His fathers are the ones who rebelled against the temple and against Jerusalem and against the presence of God, who founded their own kingdoms, who turned from God's ways, who worshiped their own gods. I mean, he's putting himself in that category. He's like, forget it. It's worthless. This is meaningless. Who cares? Because I'm no better than them. I'm just with them. And and that's it. It is enough. He he goes on a tirade, though. And he, and he lays up. down and he goes to sleep. He gives up. Well, I mean, he gives he, up. He, gives, he, he goes to sleep. Well, yeah, it's hard. That's dangerous to say he gives up, but he's he's pretty wrecked. He's wrecked. We'll go that far. Yeah, and he needs a nap. He needs a nap. <laughs> and then an angel touches him and orders him to get up and eat. And he lo- gets up and he's he looks and there's this little cake and a jug of water. And he ate it and drank it and he la- he la- he's like, all right, I'm going back to bed. Thanks for the snack. And the angel gets up and he says, no, you got to get up and you've got to eat this or else the journey is going to be too long for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and he was strengthened by the food and he walked for 40 days, which of course is number one, reminiscent of the 40 days of the wandering in the wilderness. Remember, he said, I'm no better than my fathers. In a certain sense, God is saying, okay, I want you to feel the weight of the sin of your fathers. And I want you to do that wandering in the wilderness. I want you to feel what Israel felt in a certain sense. And I also want you to feel what my own son is going to feel soon when he comes and is incarnate and he spends 40 days in the wilderness just like you. And it's actually right after this point, it's a it's like in chapter 13 that God finally answers. And he's like, no, I know you think you're the only one faithful. I know you think that you're totally alone. There are 7,000 more like you that I've kept and I've held and who are this remnant who still believe. And just to show you how strong this really is and how I am still in control, he's going to give him Alicia right after that point. But at this point, he's still sort of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing it yet. Yeah. But I'm, I'm reminded of something from last week, and I wonder if there's a carryover here. Cause I was, and I was still left confused after we did last week's podcast, thinking about the role of the manna, which is God's answer to the people's cry, remember, in the desert. Right. But at the same time, it, we don't want to say it's a punishment, but it's kind of confusing at best. It's like, okay, what is it? Remember, it was the literal translation of manna. And they're like, well, what is this? Is this the bread you promised? And I almost think we get an insight into what the manna is supposed to be here in Elijah's story. Because what the Israelites wanted in the time of the Exodus was this kind of be-all, end-all. We want the bread from heaven. We want God to take care of us. We want the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, we want it right now, right here. Right. And what God tells Elijah is, look, this isn't the be-all, end-all. This is your food for the journey. There's more to come. I have more to show you. There is a sort of promised land for Elijah. There's Elisha. There's this remnant. There's the glory that he's eventually going to see. And if you're going to reach that, you just need some food to get you on your way. Right. And I wonder if that's an insight for us into what the manna was really supposed to be. It's not, you're not arrived. You're in the wilderness. It, you know, you're like at a, at a gas station getting some food for the journey. It's not the end of the line, but the Israelites want it to be the end. They want everything to be fine and put in good order and just be done. And God says, no, this is your food for the journey so that you can get to the promised land and then have the, the land flowing with milk and honey and all these things. Yeah, But they didn't see it like that. No. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's all these things that the Lord, I think, does in our lives that are meant to be incremental. They're yeah. not the end yet. Yeah. And all this is pointing to where our gospel is going, which is showing Jesus saying, here's the end. Here's what all of these things, Elijah and the manna and all of these things have been leading up to. You finally arrived. And now we're going to see in the gospel, they don't want to go. 
Yep. Now that they finally, you know, we're at Wally World, like it's just over there, and we don't want to go to it anymore. <laughs> it, Does that it, make sense? Yeah. That, it, that was one of my thoughts. And I think that the the if we look at the details of the description of this cake that is by his head. Your cake by his head. Um, it says, and there was a, at his head a cake. And then he said, here, take, well, it says, it's a barley loaf baked in ashes. <laughs> Where does it say that? Um, it, it, it Later is, on. Uh, no, no, no. It's it's just, they just didn't translate it out. It says. A, hear, um, a hearth cake is what um, the NAB says. And kryphias oleritaitis, which is a loaf baked in ashes of barley. So the um, the N. Cryphias and Cryphias is defined as is actually the method in which it's baked. The loaf is, and so it's like an ember. It's an ember cake. Ember cake. Shoot, dude, that that's actually a pretty. That sounds like a good name for an album. Ember cake. Ember cake. Ember cake. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Not bet. a good band name quite no. yet, but it's but um. Which well, I, that's which interesting. I, which I think is which is which it would be something. So it's it's poor and it's baked at the end, but it actually ha- has in contained something that is the ashes of what was, but it's pointing towards something new out it's of got those the ashes. Ashes of what was. It's pointing toward something new that's happening, and it's it's going to be the sustenance that need that you need to get you there, which I think is a neat segue into the psalm. Which is this famous Psalm 34, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Yes. And the irony of that is that sometimes the goodness of the Lord that we're called to taste and see tastes like burnt ashes. But it doesn't mm. change the fact that it's still the goodness of the Lord. It's leading us to something. And, and, and that is we need substantive. That. It's substantive. Even though it might not have been what you expected, it's not the end of the line. Right. Could taste a little ashy at times. Mm-hmm. But that is the goodness of the Lord nonetheless, because it's leading. You know what I mean? Yes. That psalm, in conjunction with this reading and that bread that Elijah's giving, I think is just really profound. Because oh, it yeah. forces you to change your perspective. And it says in response, I will bless the Lord at all times. At all times includes Elijah's tirade against God. Well, in the three stages of the spiritual life, the way you transition from the purgative to the illuminative hmm. is always through praise. Yeah. That's, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And we see that in the Catholic liturgy in the yeah. moment when we we do the penitential rite to start Mass. And then how do we go from the penitential rite into the readings? We go via the Gloria. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah. we go right from penitence into singing the glories of God. Yeah. And I will sing praise to him at all the times. Heavens are telling the glory of God. And all creation is shining for joy. Come dance in the forest no, and pee in the field. Why did you do that? Come on, because that's what I do. Do I need to edit that? No. Okay. That's, I mean, people do Father that. Peter sang that in the back seat of a car with three bishops once. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Just, <laughs> but you did. But I, okay, I kind of meant to because I wanted to see how far I could push it with them. And it really got them laughing. But I, I think that the, the two styles of laughing, ones, when things <laughs> The nervous, awkward laugh. So, something is funny. And then you're like, ha, 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 that's true and funny. And then there's ha, ha, ha. I'm laughing because you just made me laugh because I don't have any other proper response to this. That's the one you want. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what my, the <laughs> just one, that's the one my dad taught me oh, about boy. right there, baby. Um so the, yeah. So I I think that uh, j- just to to be attentive to for, for a second to the reality of walking 40 days and 40 nights having drank two Nalgenes of water and having and one loaf some ashy bread. Dude, like I, uh, I I did a forty day uh, pilgrimage in the desert, essentially uh, in Spain on, yeah, but you on took the Camino. A cab. 
my first time I didn't I'm sorry, take I'm a just, cab. I know. I'm just kidding. That was a jerky thing to say. That was you're a jerk. But but we we even Dude, get if, if I just had one now two Nalgenes and a barley loaf while I went through that. Dude, times is hard. But there's a but in the Psalms. <laughs> there is a but in the Psalms. Talk <laughs> and to and me. it's it's this last stanza that we get, which is that the angel the the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them. So it's this idea that in the, in the midst of tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. You picture Elijah for 40 days with his two Nalgenes and ashy bread that he already ate. But the angel of the Lord is encamped around him. Everywhere he sleeps, everywhere he Mm. stops, the angel of the Lord is there watching over, delivering him. Because it's the angel of the Lord that actually showed up and gave him the food to sustain him because he knows what he's going to need. So I don't know, even built into the psalm, there's this idea that as as hard as the journey may be and as, as blind as you may be to where it's actually leading, the angel of the Lord is encamped around you. Therefore, you have the freedom to taste and see that goodness. You have the freedom to, you know, eat the last of your crumbs of bread and taste it and see it as the goodness of the Lord because you know you're actually taken care of. There's a confidence that goes along with that. And surely, I mean, this is really the last time we really hear Elijah complaining or upset because... Even and it's really now that the suffering kind of begins in a certain sense. I yeah. mean, the, the the emotional suffering has already been there. Now the physical suffering sort of begins. But yet he's had this experience. Well, the Lord actually not not only has he fed me with ravens two chapters before, uh, with food that they dropped into my mouth like the little mama birds vomiting into my mouth, but then <laughs> now the angel of the Lord himself has actually baked me a cake. And you want to edit pee in the field? I'm sorry. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know. There, there's something. I, I just love that the church has, has chosen this psalm because it's it's really rich. And then, you know, we talked about the echoes of the Exodus. I mean, the angel of the Lord really did encamp around Israel in a way that they could visibly see. If the Israelites started to flip out and get freaked out, they could literally look over there and see, oh, there's a giant pillar of fire that's actually leading us. Things are probably going to be all right. Right. But yet they didn't take solace in the giant pillar of fire that led them <laughs> ironically enough uh, which takes us to, to the second reading really and i think that actually is a good segue into ephesians yeah and uh, i think that it's it's really in, important to remember christ prayed the psalms that yeah. the, this is the voice of christ to the father yeah even in the midst of his own passion yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just think that that's actually yeah. something that 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 sometimes we can forget that Jesus actually went through all these psalms, and this was like a huge and probably memorized them. Oh, and committed guaranteed. them to memory. Yeah, he had a really good memory. Yeah, yeah. He remembers everything that's at true. all times. <laughs> yeah, entirely. But yeah, because he's God. But but he would have done that, and in his humanity, he would have committed that to memory, because that's what you did. Because that's how important Scripture actually was, right? You actually committed it. But anyway, why are you looking at me like that? I'm not looking at you okay. like nothing, dude. I'm just looking for some Ephesians. So this our reading begins by saying, brothers and sisters. And remember, we talked about the context of Ephesus, which was this hotbed of, of, of you know, in a lot of ways, it's similar to, everyone's going to think that's feedback on there. What's that? <laughs> I, I just heard bombs dropping. Don't that's all do that. But every, it, it kind of reminds us of the culture of the Northern Kingdom, where they're worshiping all these different gods. They're looking for magic tricks. They're into the kind of the New Agey, what we think of as the occult. I mean, that's, what's, that's what the Northern Kingdom is into. That's what Elijah is fighting against. Right. That's what the city of Ephesus is built on in so many ways. That is what their, their infrastructure is. And so Paul says to them, brothers and sisters, do not grieve the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God 
with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling must be removed from you. I think it's funny because that's precisely what Elijah was just doing. Yes. He was had bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling. And he's not... We got to be a little bit careful because you, you really brought this up last week. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Elijah does that. No. I mean, God wants our honesty. He wants us to. The problem is what we're going to get in the gospel, which is the people unhappy about what Jesus said. And their response is murmuring and grumbling, which is the kind of under your breath, behind the back, like whining. You know, God doesn't have any. Nobody wants that. Nobody needs that. God is the God big enough to handle our anger. Shout at him if you want to. Well, this is the thing is that what does bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander and malice do for you? Not much. It gives you power. Oh. This is the thing is it's take the power back. Mm. Like like that's what all of these, th- those <laughs> all of those moments, like we can have anger. I can be angry. Like yeah. that's no problem. Well, that's not a sin. It's just an emotion. It's what it, you do with the anger. It's a passion. But but if I let my anger turn into bitterness, wrath, yeah. anger, slander, malice, I'm using a different translation if you can't tell. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, if yeah. if I do that to try to actually utilize that to get the power that I want in my life, then what's happening is I, I've i left the path of wisdom and I grieve yeah. the Holy Spirit because what am I supposed to do? Be kind to one another. Kindness is not a power, really. No. I mean, Wait, it's, it's authentic power. Kindness? Kindness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is. Yeah, kindness is. Tenderheartedness. Mm-hmm. Forgiving one another as God gave gave us, and then, all of which are really much harder than being bitter and wrathful and angry and because they're malicious. all they're all vulnerable, and they're all just they're just easy. They don't yeah. take any power of the will. It it takes no willpower to be angry. It takes no willpower to be malicious. It take well maybe it does, but to have fury, they're just sort of things that just kind of vomit out of us. Right. To be kind, to be compassionate, to forgive. Those are things that take. And take an act of the will. Which, you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, and they're hard to do. They're much harder to do. I mean, Elijah is very close to grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is very clear in the Scriptures. The Spirit that led him to these places. It's the Spirit that led him to Ahab. It's the Spirit that led him to do this. It's the Spirit that took him back to Mount Horeb. It's all these things. And he's very close to, if not, he is grieving the Spirit of God. Why did you do this? What's going on here? And, and I think th- there's a gentleness to the... Second reading, it just says, take these things and remove them. Their time is done. You know what I mean? It's not saying, woe to you because you were angry or woe to you because you had this fury boil up. It just says, okay, now is the time to be rid of these things. Right. You know what I mean? And because we don't want to disparage Elijah's honesty with God. I mean, let him have it. You know, pour it out. If you're mad, be mad. But then listen to the voice of God in response and put aside those things when it's time to put them aside. Yep. Does that make sense? Totally. Because there is a there is a weird gentleness to the second reading, especially from Paul, who's not always gentle. And he says, now re- <laughs> now replace them yeah, with no. these things. Right. And that really is what Elijah does. He goes on from there to really work some of his greatest miracles and multiply the loaves and pass on this authority to Elisha and all you know all these things. You do get the sense that he actually does what the second reading calls us to do. He puts aside those things and he moves forward in faith. And he sees the fruit of it in some real sense. And offers himself up as a sacrifice. And he offers himself up as a sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah. For a fragrant aroma. 
Although he was living in the desert for 40 days. I'm sure he didn't have a fragrant aroma to him. I don't know, dude. They didn't have all the preservatives that we have nowadays. That's true. I still can't imagine smelling good. Yeah, I mean, it still is good. He's probably still, yeah, he probably smells Compared bad. to everybody else, though. Yeah. Probably wasn't that bad. Yeah. Anyway. Then which we brings get us to the gospel. Which is the tail end of this bread of life discourse Jesus has been on. Right. So if you remember, just to recap where we've come from, Jesus, Jesus uh, just before this, multiplied all these loaves and fishes, fed tons of people through the most unlikely of ways, through these, what was it, five loaves of barley, ironically enough, same thing that Elijah has fed. I wonder if they were ashen cakes of ashen barley. Ashen cakes of barley, which nobody can deny. And then the two fish. And, you know, people are flipping out. Uh, he takes off. They don't even, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, they don't even notice him leave because they're so engrossed in their bellies and they're being fed. Because again, like the Eli- the uh, Israelites want to do, they're seeing their bellies as the be all end all. Right. I want the stuff now. And what Jesus is trying to show them is, look, this food that I've given you, that I've multiplied, that I've miraculously fed you with, with leftovers, is not the be all end all. It's not the end of what you're looking for. You're looking for something greater and I would give that to you. This is food for the journey. What I've multiplied, what I've given you here on the side of the lake, it's food to actually get you to the point where I want to bring you. And you're going to need more than that. You're going to need faith to accept the place, the promised land that I'm actually trying to take you. And then he launches into this bread of life discourse saying, you have to actually have to eat me and my flesh and gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood. You know, this is what he's been leading them to, but that's also what they can't accept. And so at this point, after having said these pretty shocking things, the Jews begin to murmur about Jesus. They're not like Elijah saying, we don't get it. We don't understand. God, what are you doing here? I mean, I think Jesus would have accepted that far better if they'd have just said, this is ridiculous. What are you talking about? Then the murmuring and grumbling, like, who does this guy think he is? We They're know like, him. We know the neighborhood he's from. It's like, nice speech, dude. They're like, Jimmy, dude, do you hear what he said? This is the son of Joseph. We know his mom and dad. We don't, yeah, you know. Totally. They're just being jerks. Again, God can handle our honest frustrations. He really can. But he can't, he doesn't have any time for our grumbling. I, I just think that it's really, I mean, we have these very direct images of food for the way. So, yeah. so uh, you know, like there's a richness that Elijah experienced mm-hmm. uh, and some real difficulties, but then the Lord gave him food for the way, which yeah. in Latin is viaticum. Oh, you're right. It is. is. Food for the way. So, oh. so a- as you're about to go through the wilderness, you would receive communion for the last time. That would be the yeah, viaticum. viaticum. Yeah. And so there's a sense of, huh. of, of that. But then, and then the, the loaves, the multiplication of the loaves, like, I think they lead to the Eucharist, but we know they're not the Eucharist. Right. They're, what they are is this moment of, of us being able to understand later on how the Lord could multiply. Yeah, and ha- who can who can actually who is the Lord of heaven and earth, Lord yeah. of matter? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And how how what his desire is is for his bread to cover the earth, and that there be an abundance always. And yeah. so then then he says, "Well, let me show you the what the true reality is once I institute this. That and then yes. we're going to be able to assemble these pieces, and you're going to have like Voltron." In a way that's going to be the sum of the parts is going to be way bigger than the than the reality of the parts themselves. Can always count on you to bring Voltron into the podcast, dude. Especially in a Eucharistic. That was a Eucharistic <laughs> Voltron, by the way. You know, 
I was trying to think of something witty in response. But <laughs> I actually, don't even know. Like, there's a line about that in uh, Gaudium et Spes. <laughs> there's, uh, there's not one. There is not one. Not a one. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's where, you know, this sort of, gosh. So he tells them to stop murmuring and grumbling. No one can come to me unless the father who they sent them. Um, they shall be taught by God, the prophets. I mean, he goes through basically piece by piece showing, look, everything that you have received previously, every because they come to him. Part of their complaint is like, look, Moses gave us bread from heaven. What are you going to give us? And he basically goes and slams Moses in a certain way. He's like, Moses didn't give you nothing. Nothing. I'm gonna, it was my father who did it. And he even did that just as a sign of what's to come. And the prophets all say, they shall be taught by God. You were taught by Moses. That's great. Moses was awesome. Elijah was awesome. Elisha was awesome. But you are going to be taught by God himself, according to the prophets. I think that that's an awesome response to the fact that like, we know this guy. Yes. He's like, how can he say it came down from heaven? He says, the prophets said they shall be taught by God. Dude, he just basically said, I am God. Totally. Which, dude, I don't know if I would have had the grace to be able to accept that. It would have been so difficult. Like, but, but how do you do that when you're faced with the flesh and blood sitting before you? Well, you answer your own question. So you just you just said, I don't know if I'd have had the grace to accept that. How do you answer that? Well, Jesus actually answers your question. And he says, look, stop murmuring. No one can actually come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Right. So your response, what you just said on a very human level is the exact right response. I don't know if I can accept that. Well, guess what? No human mind, I think, can actually wrap their minds around this. You can't, there's no logical system that's going to get you to, oh, yes, that piece of bread that Father's holding on the altar, that must be the God in the universe who sustains me at all times and always. And that there's no greater, logic that's that going to get you there. That's a greater act than the creation of all of the universe. It is. And, and that, I think it actually calls us to have a little more compassion on those of us who don't share the faith who can't wrap their minds around those things, that we actually, it should drive us to pray for the grace that people can see the Eucharist for what it is, that can see our faith for what it is, and to, in great humility, say, wow, I can't believe that I've actually been given the grace to believe that that piece of bread is the God of the universe. Right. That's profoundly humbling because my mind didn't get me there. There's no, there's nothing I did hmm. to draw myself in this way. The Father alone has done it. Yep. And that's why when, I assume we'll get to this next week, the res, the, the apostles' response when Jesus says, all right, you guys going to take off too, is, is actually really beautiful because they don't say we understand. No, we get it, Jesus. They're like, we don't have a clue what you're talking about, but where else are we going to go? Right. And there's a great deal of humility to that because you could see the male like, no, we understand great teacher. We're on board. We get it totally, even though these fools don't, which is sometimes how we respond to the world as Catholics. Like what a bunch of boneheads. How come they can't see these things that we see? How come they don't see these aspects of the faith that we take for granted? Well, because it's a total and utter grace that we can see these things. Right. And we need to be humble about that. And I think pray for the grace Number one, to see them better and to understand exactly what it is we see and then pray for the grace that others may, be, may see because the Father desires to draw everybody. That's the catch to what Jesus is saying. He wants everyone. We don't believe in what's called double predestination, that there are some people just destined for hell like Calvin believed. We believe God actually wants Cal everybody. Calvin. John Calvin. John oh, Calvin. John Calvin. Sorry. Uh, I was <laughs> Not say Calvin Mueller. God Calvin Mueller. No, no, John Calvin. Um, you know what I mean though? No, but there's going to be a, a great deal of humility. And then just to put the icing on the cake, 
He says, uh, you know, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate man in the desert and they died. Whoop-de-doo. The man is great and it's going to stay in you for a little while, but then you're going to die. And he doesn't just mean they died because it wasn't the bread of life, but they also died spiritually. Because even though, and Paul brings this out in the book of Romans, even though they received the spiritual food, Paul actually says pretty point blank in Romans, look, they all ate the supernatural food. They all ate of the supernatural drink from the rock. They all walked through the Red Sea that was parted. And yet the vast majority of them died far from God. And they died outside of the Holy Land because they still rejected it. And and basically what Paul is saying is that we must never approach the sacraments as magic tricks or just these signs that are really cool. I mean, the reason Paul's saying that is saying, look, you're all baptized, all the people he's speaking to. You're all baptized. You've all eaten the Eucharist. You've all drank the supernatural drink, just like all the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. There's kind of that baptism. They ate the manna. They're kind of Eucharist. They drank the, the rock, you know, from the rock. Um, yet they all died, yet they actually lost the faith. So if you treat your baptism or the Eucharist or the sacraments that you receive as these magic tricks, they're going to save you on their own, and you're not actually cooperating, then you're going to be just like the Israelites. And I think that that's why the church, what it does is is it ta- looks for the effects of those who are experiencing eternal life mm. and demonstrates them and then holds those up who have not died who are alive in heaven. And yes. that is this, yes. that is, the, it, it's yes. saying like, no, we are so serious about this. We're going to look for the effects of life that does not end here and now. And yeah. then we find it and then we declare them saints. Yeah, that's it. So mm. declare yourself a saint. Do it. Go to the Eucharist. Right now. Faith in the Lord. Pray. Hard. we got to pray just to pray. make it today. Pray. 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 we got to pray just to make it today. One of MC Hammer's lesser known hits. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to go put on my hammer pants. Good. Try to figure out what my patronage for saintly life is going to be. Fair enough. And say a prayer for all the people who listen to us. Thank you. God Boom. bless you. Goodbye. You guys are the best. Bye.